I want to remind us as we come into the tail end of this letter, the Apostle Paul is the one writing this letter. And, and remember, he's writing to, to the Colossians, but we're going to see this morning that this letter that he wrote, it was intended to be circulated throughout the neighborhood um, where Colossae was. That would include Hierapolis and a city called Laodicea, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on. And remember, it was a papyrus that had traveled somewhere around 900 miles from Colossae to Rome, and now he's, he's actually imprisoned with Rome. Um, Papyrus, who was probably the pastor of this church, was there with Paul, and he began to share with Paul all the amazing things that God was doing in the churches in that area. And Paul was excited to hear that. He was super stoked and praising the Lord and so thankful for the work of God's Spirit in their life, in the lives of those believers. But then Epaphras began to share with Paul also that there were some problems going on at the churches there as well. And you guys remember there was false teaching, there was heresies and heretics that had begun to influence the church. And, and anytime you have a heresy or a heretic, what they will do is they will diminish Jesus and they will put distance between you and Jesus. Disconnect us from him, the simplicity of walking with Jesus Christ. And we learn that we are complete in Jesus Christ. That means we're lacking nothing. And so what did the Apostle Paul do? He began to remind us in the first two chapters of who Jesus is, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, of what he's done on our behalf. And aren't you grateful for who he is and for what he's done for us? And I would say, aren't you thankful for what he's doing currently as well? He's begun this good work in each of us in our lives, and he's going to see it through to completion. And aren't you grateful for what the, the best is yet to come, by the way? For when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so the first two chapters, really, the Apostle Paul communicated amazing doctrine. And then the second half of the book, chapter 3 and part of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul began to give us application in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. What should, our look, what should our lives look like as we follow Jesus? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road, where we need to take it from our heads and from our hearts and into our feet and walk in those things that the Lord has called us to walk in, whether it's interpersonally, at church, whether it's in a home. That's really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? In our homes, whether we're legit or not, whether we're really living it out, how we treat one another in our homes. And the Lord is so good. He's gracious and growing each one of us as we look to him. And so now we get to the tail end of this letter, and Paul is kind of, he's, he's, he's throwing out a lot of names, isn't he? So-and-so says, Tychicus says hi, and this, or he's delivering the letter, and this guy says hi. And it's so easy to just, when you're reading on your own, just to look at those and say, it's just a bunch of names. I can just get to the next book or the next portion of scripture. But I want to remind us, and maybe even to challenge us this morning. I, I know I was challenged preparing for this. And there's some challenging things that we're going to read in this list of names this morning. Well, let's jump in real quick. Let's see what it says. Verse, let's go to verse 12. How's that? Good? Okay. I'm not even asking for an okay. I'm just <laughs> saying it's, this is where we're going to start. Epaphras. Who's Epaphras? Who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, 
And what's the, what was he praying? Look what it says. This is so good. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For, Paul goes on record, for I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. And those who are in, check this out, Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. And so Epaphras, we learn something about Epaphras. If you flip back with me real quick to chapter 1, verse 7, we learn something about Epaphras and his ministry to the congregation. It's like, how did this church start? How did they learn about Jesus? How did they learn about the grace of God and the word of God? And it says there in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, as you also learn from, what's your Bible say? From who? From a pap, from what? Google? What does it say? And from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And so here's this faithful man that poured into the congregation the word of God. Not only did he teach the word, but this is a guy that lived it out. He was faithful in his calling, faithful in his ministry. And Paul now, he's, as he's closing out the letter, he's saying, Epaphras says hi. At this point, Epaphras, according to Philemon's letter, or the letter to Philemon, they're fellow prisoners now. Epaphras is in jail, imprisoned with Paul. Where, where was Paul at again? In Rome. And notice how Paul describes him. He says he's one of you, he's a Colossian, but he's also a bond servant of Christ. Paul uses that term for himself, doesn't he, on a couple occasions? Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a bond? Is it good to be a bondservant? It's an awesome thing. I mean, hopefully every one of us could say the same thing. A bondservant was a slave or a servant in ancient times that someone comes along and pays for that slave to be set free. Pays the price, and then that slave says, I love that master so much, I want to serve him the rest of my life because I love him. And isn't that what Jesus did in our lives? He paid the price with his precious blood to rescue us, to save us, that we might have a complete forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of God given to us and the hope of heaven, a fresh start in our lives because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, his complete finished work, his resurrection from the dead. You've been bought at a price, Paul said to the Corinthians, so glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to him. We've been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we choose to serve him. Why? Because we love him. Not out of compulsion, not out of arm twisting, but now we serve him with what, we, what he's blessed us with because we love him. Because by, by his grace, he's saved us. And so Paul says, Epaphras is a bondservant. He says, hi, he greets you, and he's always laboring for you in what? In prayers. It's interesting, that word always laboring, we get, the, we get the English word agonizing. He was agonizing, and sometimes we pray that way, don't we? Prayer is hard work. To pray and to intercede for others and to come, to, to come before the throne of grace and to, man, there's all kind, the world is coming against us, our flesh. The devil is coming against us to keep us from praying. And Paul's like, I'm bearing record. I'm bearing witness. This guy prays totally diligently 
for you. And what did he pray? I love this prayer. What does he pray specifically for? That you may stand perfect. Does that mean that you'd be sinlessly perfect? Is that what he's saying? No, that word perfect means mature or that you would be growing and then complete speaks of that you would reach, um, you would reach the full potential that you have in all that God's calling you to, God's will. That you would reach your full potential. Listen, I pray that for you guys every day. And I'm not saying that to just like, oh yeah, check me out. But I think that's a great prayer that we should be praying for one another. We should be praying that for our spouse. We should be praying that for our kids. This is a prayer right in line with God's will. Are you with me? Does God want to see us grow? Does he want to see us mature? Does he want to see us fulfill our calling? Do you know you have a holy calling on your life? Do you know that you have a sacred calling on your life? Because the Lord didn't just save us and take us home, did he? Did he leave us here? Are you guys here this morning? He left us here, didn't he? Why? Why did he leave us here? Just to gather around for a big praise and worship session and that's it and holy huddle and... No, listen, we come in, we get strengthened, we get built up in our walk with the Lord, and then we go out and we serve wherever the Lord has us. We blossom or bloom right where he has us planted, especially in our home. That's where ministry begins. But then wherever the Lord has you, and then you take the giftings and callings that God has given you. Listen, he's given us everything we need to be successful in what he's called us to do. The question is, will I step out in faith to do what he's called me to do? And that's to love him and to love others and to serve him with the gifts that he's given me. And it may be in church, it may be in the community, it may be in the mission field. But it's like if we trust trust in the Lord with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding, in all of our ways acknowledge him. What's the promise? He's going to direct our steps. He's going to direct you to where you need to be. The question is, will you pull up the anchor and get the, the, what are those things called? The sails up. To let him lead you. Say, I'm ready, Lord, here I am. Send me whatever you want to do with my life. And this is such a great prayer. In fact, it's a prayer I believe that God will answer because it's in line with his will. Please listen to this. Let this wash over you this morning. 1 John 5. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. Do you have confidence in prayer this morning? Or is it like a wishing well? Or blowing out candles? Do you have confidence in prayer this morning? This is the confidence that we have in him, in Jesus, that if we ask anything, how much is anything? Everything, all the, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, that's good. He hears us. We're, that means we're online spiritually, correct? We're connecting. We're not getting a busy signal. Are you with me? He hears us. And then, and if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That is such good news this morning. I don't know, is that amenable stuff? We pray, and that's why Jesus said, when you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we say, Lord, this is my desire, but I want your desire, your choice. And God gives the best to those who leave the choice with him. But this is a prayer that we're reading this morning that is right in line with the will of God. It's beautiful, right in line with his word. Epaphras got it, and this dude prayed. And not only that, look at the next verse. Paul goes on record. He testified that this Epaphras has a great what? What's zeal? 
Fervor? I heard fur. That sounds good. Fervor. Is that like really fur, furry? Passion, enthusiasm, energy. I I like that. Who does he have great enthusiasm for? For the congregation of Colossae, the believers also at Laodicea. He also cares for those at Hierapolis. That tells me Epaphras has great enthusiasm for others. He cared about others. You know what that tells me also? That he's passionate about what God's passionate about. Didn't we learn earlier in this letter to set our mind on things above, to seek the things that are above? Did we learn that in this letter? That's in Colossians, correct? Yeah? That means we set our mind on things that are eternal. We seek things that are eternal. What's eternal? Three things are eternal. God, his word, and people are. And so Epaphras was concerned He had a huge concern, a huge care. And listen, when we pray for others, it demonstrates care. You know what I'm talking about? When we labor in prayer for others, that shows that we care about people. And and here's the danger that can happen. Someone can come come up to you and say, you know, would you pray for me? Or pray for Uncle Jim Bob? And, And we say, I got you, bro. I'll be praying for you. And what happens when we get home? It's happened to you too, right? So a good thing to do is to say, Time out. Let's pray right now. God, would you, would you stretch forth your hand like they prayed in Acts and, and heal Jim Bob? Or whatever. I always pray for God to heal. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. It's his choice. It's his desire. May your will be done in this situation, Lord. But here's what I would like to see happen. And so it's, it's good so we don't forget to pray right then and there with that person. Are you with me? It demonstrates care. It demonstrates Uh, zeal for someone. And so it's not something that's worked up, by the way. Like, okay, let's gather. We're lacking zeal this morning. Let's gather up, huddle up. Okay, we got to get some zeal going. Ready on three. Ready, break. That's not, it's not like have a little powwow. It's, 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 It's the overflow of our love relationship with Jesus Christ. Abide in me and my words abide in you and you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be given to you. Because there's a connection, a a living in Jesus, his word living in us. And he's changing our desires. Our desires are becoming like his desires. And we're looking to the Lord in all things to to work in that life. And our heart begins to get in line with his heart. And we're stirred up for other people. In fact, isn't that the heart of Jesus, others? The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many And so let me just ask you a question this morning. If someone went on record about you, what would they say you're zealous about? What would they say you're passionate about? Are you passionate about what God is passionate about this morning? I think this is a great challenge this morning to us to see what we're really enthusiastic, what we have great zeal for, and allow that to wash over our hearts and say say to the Lord, you know what, Lord, my passion has been misdirected. My zeal has been misdirected. Because don't you, you guys remember when you got saved? Did you guys get saved? <laughs> okay. If not, we're going to have a chance afterwards. You can pray with me. I don't know about you. I would witness to wallpaper. Like anybody that want to listen. Because I want to tell people about Jesus, the one who saved me, the one I'm in love with. And what can happen over time, we're going to talk about it in a minute, is that we can drift away. We can cool off in our relationship with the Lord. 
You know what I'm saying? And sometimes even take back parts of our lives that we once surrendered to him. Because what's that song? I surrender all. Is that the song? Wrong key, I know, but... Right? We come to him, I surrender all to you, Lord. But then you get some mileage, you start walking with the Lord, and all of a sudden now you've taken back certain areas of your life that were once fully surrendered to him. And it's like, you know what's so great about our Lord? You can always come right back to him and say, Lord, I'm surrendering afresh. I realize I'm not passionate about what you're passionate about, that I don't have a zeal in the direction I should. Lord, would you change me, fix me, do what you need to do in my heart and my life that I might get directed seeking the things that truly matter. Amen? Next dude, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke and Demas, say hello, say hi. Hi, that was cool. (laughs) Who's Luke? He's a doctor, isn't that great? He's a doctor and an author of the book Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. What's interesting is it's possible that those two books, when, where was Paul again? He's in, he's in Rome. He's going to go on trial. It's possible that those were the legal briefs for him. Interesting. And, you know, you read through Luke and you read through Acts and and you can tell it's a, it's a little different than the other Gospels. It's a little more analytical and a lot more scientific, um, the way that he writes. And there's certain details that Luke puts in that the other Gospel writers don't, that a doctor would really be, okay, this is important information for you to have. In any event, isn't God good? Do you guys believe God is good? Do you see who was traveling with Paul? Luke traveled with Paul. Luke was a what? What was this? He's a doctor. Isn't that great? Because didn't, didn't Paul take some lumps? I mean, isn't that radical? Think about it, because when he went to, when, normally when he'd go on his mission trip, he'd go first to where? Where would he go? The synagogue. To the Jew first. He'd go to the synagogue. And he began to share from the Old Testament and connect the prophecies with Jesus and show them how completely Jesus filled all of those prophecies concerning the first coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's connecting the dots for them. And how did they receive him? Oh, thank you, Paul. Oh, I can't believe you traveled all these miles to share that with us. What happened? Dude, you got a beating, got a beat down. Correct? And isn't it great that God provided a doctor to travel with him? I mean, it's just, God is so good. He knows exactly what we need. And he provides for us as we're doing his work his way. How about Demas? You guys remember Demas? This is a tragic story. And it's only like three verses. He's mentioned three times in the New Testament. He's mentioned here, Philemon, and where? Second Timothy, thank you. In Philemon, he's mentioned as a co-laborer with Paul. So Paul and Demas, man, they've locked arms. They're serving Jesus together, much like some of us. I mean, some of us, some of you, some, I've been serving the Lord over a decade with many of the people in this church. I'm eternally grateful. We've locked arms, and you're connected together. And Paul had locked arms with Demas, and they were serving the Lord together and pouring out and seeing God's kingdom furthered and seeing God do awesome stuff, radical stuff. And then when Paul writes from death row, 2 Timothy I mean, these words are so like, 
emotional what he says. He said to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. And Paul's awaiting, he's about to be beheaded. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. That's heavy. You guys see that? What happened to this dude? Demas did what? He ended up in a bad place spiritually. That's what happens when you fall out of love with Jesus, by the way. He's now in love with the things of this world, things that are temporal, things that are going to burn. He's, he's investing in the wrong kingdom. He's invested his life in the wrong kingdom. He's going the wrong direction. He's ditched his buddy Paul for material concerns, for the love of stuff. And here's the thing. Some people don't answer God's call at the beginning to serve. Why? Because of love for material stuff. But this man, this man slowly drifted away. This doesn't happen overnight. When you read about a minister falling for whatever, stealing, embezzling money, or a Christian, right, committing adultery, getting hooked on drugs, that doesn't happen overnight. Like, you know, I think I'm going to be a crackhead tonight. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens incrementally, slowly, where we, where we stop guarding our heart with all diligence. And we begin to play with stuff in our hearts and in our minds that we have no business playing with. And we know that. Rather than bringing things captive to Jesus Christ and having our hearts guarded before him, walking in the fear of the Lord. And slowly, incrementally, you find your play, yourself in a place of danger because you've drifted. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the author of Hebrews, I think it's Paul. You're entitled to your own distorted opinion. It says, we need to take heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. You guys know what drifting is, right? You guys know what drifting is? It's not like those guys that drive in the cars, those little Nissans. Not what we're talking about here. Like, here's my example. It's lame, but it works for me. So, so get to the beach, put my towel down, got my coolerator with agua, go out in the water, I'm catching waves, having a good time, and all of a sudden I'm sitting by the jetty and my towel, all my stuff is half a mile down. How in the world did I, I was having so much fun, how in the world did I get here next to the jetty? Well, what happens is the current slowly causes you to drift. You guys know what I'm talking about now, drifting? No, bad example. How about texting and driving? Slow. No, that doesn't work either? How about before we had Waze and Google Maps? And you're off just a little bit on your directions. Well, I'm going to Tomball, but I'm, I'm in Brenham. <laughs> I started off just a little, you know, one street off and then... A little better, sort of. Lame. Demas drifted. And it's, a, it's the first warning in the book of Hebrews of six or seven warnings. And we need to guard our hearts, gang. You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm saying this morning? Like, I love you guys. Jesus spoke about the parable of the soils. You guys remember the parable of the soils? The soils represent the condition of our hearts. The seed is what? What was the seed? The, the word of God. 
right? The sower sows the seed. Yes, thank you. Amen. Every Sunday, I reach into the seed bag and I throw out seed. Every Wednesday, I'm sharing from God's word. The seed is going out and it's hitting the heart. And there's four. Jesus didn't say there's 40 different conditions. There's only four. You guys remember that, what he talked about? The first one is the hard heart. The seed lands on the, on the, uh, the, the, the wayside, on the path. It's been trampled down. And you go to Israel, they have those paths by the fields where people walk. And so the guy's casting out the seed. It's kind of like when you do your lawn with the... You guys, ever do, you guys do your own lawns? Anybody here do their own lawn? You're not into lawns, that's okay. And the seed hits the sidewalk, is the idea. Place of walking. It can't penetrate the surface. And so who comes and takes the seed? The, the birds of the air. And there are some of us that come to church and our hearts are hard. Trampled down. There's been so much traffic. So much traffic in your life. So many things you've been letting in and now your heart is so hard. And the seed is going out and it hits and the, Jesus said the birds of the air represent Satan. There's some kind of supernatural uh, weird thing that happens where Satan comes and takes the word of God right out of your heart. And you hear the message and you leave here and you don't even know what it was about. You, maybe you remember this. <laughs> what was he talking about anyway? And so the word doesn't penetrate. And then there's the second, remember the second condition? The shallow heart. Right? That seed hits and boom, it springs up. All of a sudden, it, man, it's, it's, it's blooming. But what happens? It withers away when the sunlight hits it. That's the person that hears the word, right? The condition of the heart. It's a shallow heart. Oh, you hear the word. Hallelujah. Wow, what a Bible study. What a church. Praise the Lord. Oh, it's awesome, man. What a Bible study. And then you... Then Monday morning, you cruise to work or school, and what happens? All of a sudden, you start getting persecuted for the word's sake. You share your faith, you share the, your excitement, your zeal, and all of a sudden, someone says something to you or a bunch of people say stuff to you, and all of a sudden, you wither and you're gone. It also says not only persecution for the word's sake, it says tribulation for the word's sake in one of the Gospels. Pressure, hard times for the word's sake. Listen, when you gave your life to Jesus, it's not going to all be like holding hands and singing kumbaya. Jesus said, if you've chosen the narrow way, the narrow gate, the narrow path, it is difficult. He let us know right up front, it's not going to be easy street. It's going to be hard. Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't say, take up your convertible Porsche and follow me, did he? Did he say something like that? No way, man. Take up your cross. Painful, die to the self, death to the self. But that's where you experience his life, his resurrection life. So second condition, shallow heart, no root is the idea. Third condition, that's what we're talking about here. Remember the third condition? Who remembers? Seed hits, but it gets choked out because of, of the thorns. What's so sad is this was a life that was once fruitful, like Demas. And Jesus said, what were the thorns? You guys remember? The deceitfulness of riches and the concerns of this world. So no longer concer concerned with the world to come. No longer concerned about God's kingdom. But what? Concerned about 
the riches of this life and the concerns of this life. And that's what happens. A life gets choked out. The fruitfulness gets choked out. And, and, it's, and it's tragic, isn't it? Here's this Demas dude, a guy that was like laboring with Paul and they're seeing fruitfulness and man, God's doing a work. And then all of a sudden he's gone, drifted away. And I, I wonder if Paul said something to him. Do you guys think Paul said something to him? I think he did. Because that's, isn't that love? Hey, bro, like, I miss you. I miss our time praying together. I didn't see at the prayer meeting, bro. Man, you're coming, you're coming once a month now. Where you been? I, no doubt Paul shared the truth and love with him because he cared about him and no doubt prayed for him also. And so Demas, he's in the mix here at this time, but he's walking with the Lord. And then verse 15, greet the brethren who are in where? Laodicea. And here's another, if you're looking for names, and Nymphus. <laughs> and the church that is in his house. Church is ecclesia, by the way. It means called out from, called out to. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We learned earlier in Colossians 1 that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Isn't that beautiful? What the, isn't that beautiful what the Lord's done, you guys? We've been brought into his kingdom. We are, that's what ecclesia means, called out ones, but called out to something. And so the early church, they met in, they met in buildings. They also met in houses. They had house churches. They met in schools too, by the way. Remember Paul, school of Tyrannus. You guys remember that? In Ephesus, school of Tyrannosaurus Rex. Is that what it was? We, you know, we met at a daycare center for like 10 years, setting up chairs every Wednesday, every Sunday. So it's biblical. But here's the deal. Listen, here's the deal. The church is not the building. Church is you and me, us. The family of God being knit together as living stones, being built up a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. With the Lord Almighty right here in the midst of us all. How awesome is that? That's radical. It's not about the walls and the roof and all the bathrooms. And <laughs> it's us, the family of God. You know, John, John, after decades of walking with Jesus, that still blew him away. First John, behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Does it still blow you away? Man, God's made us his kiddos. Verse 16, now, when this epistle is read, which epistle? Colossians, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So I've been talking about this, haven't I, for a while? This was intended to be a circular letter, right? The letter to the Colossians, it's to go to Laodicea. But also, this letter to the Laodiceans was to go to the church of Colossae. What is the letter of the Laodiceans? Do we have that? <laughs> some, some believe we don't have it. It's not part of the canon of Scripture. Some people believe it's the letter to the Ephesians, by the way. So again, your own distorted opinion on that. Take it, you know. 
In any event, we do know about Laodicea, don't we? Do we know about Laodicea, y'all? If not, we're going to learn in a few weeks. Revelation where? Chapter 3. So think about this. The Laodiceans received this letter from Paul. And then a couple of decades later, give or take, the Laodiceans received a report card from Jesus. Right? Revelation chapter 3. And one of the most famous sayings that we know in Christianity comes from 320. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and... Right? We use this for evangelism, don't we? And it's true. He does stand at the door of our hearts and knock. He doesn't bust the door down. He says, if you, if you hear my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens up, you've got to open up, I will come in to him and dine with him and him with me. We'll have fellowship. We'll, we'll have a connection now together. And it's, isn't that beautiful? But think about who he's speaking to, the Laodiceans. He's saying, I'm knocking on the door of the church. You think I'm right in the middle, but I'm outside. And what's true in a church, listen, what's true in a church is also true in a life. The Lord's saying, man, I used to be inside. You've pushed me out. Because remember what he says to the church there? Remember what he says to that church? He said they were lukewarm. He, he said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will what? I will vomit you out of my mouth. I don't know what that means. Please don't ask me. I don't, I don't, but I don't want to find out. You guys ever barf? You're, you're removing something from you that doesn't belong. That's causing you to be sick. That's heavy. And they, what, remember what happened there? What does lukewarm mean? Think about that with me. Lukewarm. I, wrote, I, I looked it up. It means un, unenthusiastic. It means indifferent, half-hearted, passionless, unconcerned, uninterested, unresponsive, unmoved. Wow. And here's the deal that goes with that. They weren't lukewarm about something, though. They weren't lukewarm about their money and their possessions and their stuff. Right? Because Jesus said, because you say, I'm rich. Hallelujah. I'm increased in goods. I'm in need of nothing. Can you imagine? I can't because it can happen to us, can it? Oh, the church starts to grow, right? You've got some finances in the bank. And now those desperate times that produce desperate prayers, they're few and far between the desperate times. We can look to our accounts. We can look to other resources rather than being totally dependent upon the Lord. And you look at the church today. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We need him. Can you imagine saying, I admit, we're in need of nothing? And the Lord's knocking on the door. Here I am. Let me in. Let me blow you away. Aren't you glad the Lord is so good? He gives us the prognosis and the diagnosis, and he doesn't just leave us there. He gives us the cure, too. Remember what he said? I'm counseling you, he said. You're, you, you think you're this, but guess what? You're, you're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Come to me. 
That's always where revival happens. That's always where, where, uh, where, we, where we come back to when we're empty, when we need to be filled, when we're jacked up, when we're messed up. It's always simply coming back to Jesus. He made it so simple. Come back to me. Come back. Do business with me. You're in desperate need of real wealth, true righteousness. You need to have your eyes open. You need healing. And he said to them, he said, be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Isn't that, didn't we just read that word a minute ago? Great zeal with a papyrus. Be zealous. You know, someone once told me years ago, Mike, you're way too on fire for Jesus, man. I'm like, dude, I mean, I was a little more gentle. Dude, you need to go check out Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, because, bro, I don't ever want to be lukewarm. I mean, wasn't, do you remember when you got saved? Were you guys excited about Jesus? Or was it just kind of like indifferent? Whatever. Become broken. And it's like, I can't believe I'm saved. I can't believe I'm forgiven. Lord, you would forgive me? I jacked up my life. I jacked up people's lives. Lord, thank you for rescuing me and forgiving me and giving me a fresh start. And I'm heading to heaven. I could die right now and I could go right to your presence. Oh, that's awesome. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to have a church membership. I don't have to do this. I don't have to wear a suit. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's it's so awesome. Jesus says, those I love, I chasten. And we we need that, don't we? Because we can find ourselves, even this morning, drifting away from where we need to be. And the Lord's like, listen, just come back to me. Their love for others, and they're growing in those things, and yet... Over time, they drifted away from where they should be. And so be zealous, pursue with intensity, be passionate, be devoted, be committed, be hardcore for Jesus. It takes a passion to conquer a passion. And it's simple. You come back to Jesus and say, fill me up, Lord. I'm weary and burdened. Jesus said, come to me, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. All you are thirsty, come to me and drink. It's always about coming back to Jesus and making this the most important influence in your life. It's making God's word the most important influence in your life. You need to repent. You need to repent. Have a change of mind, change of heart, and a change of direction. And the Lord will allow that this morning. You come right to him. Amen. Verse 17. We're going to finish? Oh, we got time. Sweet. Good Bible names. You ready for one? Looking for one? Moms, dads, Archippus. We'll call him Archie. Say to Archippus. Oh, so good. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. That is so... Can you imagine you're Archippus? And you're hearing this letter... And you can put your, name, put your name in there, and all of a sudden you hear your name. There's no archipuses here, is there, this morning? <laughs> Mikey! Oh, Paul remembered me. What did he say? Hey, bro, take heed to the ministry which God has given you. 
take heed, it means continually look on to beware, to perceive, to discover, to understand, to consider, to contemplate, to weigh carefully, to examine the area of service in God's kingdom, which has been graciously given to you and to me by Jesus Christ himself. You know what that means? Jesus has shared ministry with you and me. And only true ministry comes from him. What's the exhortation? Here's the ministry. Take heed that you may what? Fulfill it. You must complete your ministry. Fulfill also means to fill up. Not halfway, but to fill it up. Don't leave it empty. Fulfill means to perform, to bring to pass, to accomplish it, to render complete in every particular, to carry through to the end, to carry it out. In other words, look at what God's entrusted to you. Look what he's given you. Look at the door that he's opened to you. Consider where he's placed you. Consider how important, how crucial your ministry is. It is of eternal value. And that goes for every one of us. You, maybe you're a mom and you've got little ones that you're training up in the way that they should go. Dad as well, pouring into junior and being an example to them as well. In the workplace, God wants to use you there. Does God want to use you in the workplace? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Paul's like, listen, dude, finish your ministry. Understand, Jesus gave you this ministry, and he's given you everything you need to be successful in what he's called you to do. Now complete that ministry. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't make excuses. Don't be lazy. Be diligent. Do what he's called you to do. Carry out your marching orders. It's interesting because Paul calls this dude, Archippus, in Philemon, a fellow soldier. And we've all been enlisted, haven't we? That's about half the room. Have we all been enlisted? I don't know if we've been enlisted or not. Mike, what are you talking about? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare. Are we in warfare? What kind of warfare? Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? Is your battle against your co-workers? Is your battle against your family members? No way, Jose. We don't wrestle against flesh. It's a spiritual battle. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What's it mean to get entangled? All consumed and wrapped up in the affairs of this life. How many of us have been so consumed? Thank you. One honest lady also in the fellowship this morning. We get entangled with the junk. Think about how much time we give to studying COVID and, and what are the this and that. And you know more about that than your Bible. Oh, it's heavy. It's like, come on. You're getting entangled with the affairs of this life. You should be able to connect the dots and say, you know what? Lord's coming. Jesus is coming. I want to be about his business. I want to have my hand to the plow and not get it. This is what the Bible says. I'm just exhorting you guys because I love you. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We want to please. Who's the one that enlisted us? Jesus did. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I may never march in the infantry, ride into cavalry, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? Is that how the tune goes? Wrong key. It's okay. But it... And it's, listen, it is exciting to serve the Lord. 
There's nothing like it. Nothing. Serving the Lord and watching Him work. It's not glamorous. In some seasons, listen, some seasons you're just, you're breaking up the hard surface. In some seasons you, you get to sow some seeds. And then some seasons you're doing some watering. And sometimes there's no harvest. And you're waiting for the Lord to provide the increase. And it's okay. And some seasons you do see an increase. And it's like, wow, Lord, thank you for letting me see the fruits of my labor. But I'm not going to grow weary in doing good because you promised that we would reap if we do not lose heart. Again, it's all about our hearts. Are we guarding our hearts? Giving them over to him afresh every day. Saying, Lord, I want to fulfill the ministry you give me. Help me to do this. Give me the strength. Is that a prayer he's going to answer? That would be a prayer right in line with God's will. Because it's right in line with God's word. The Lord wants us to finish, to be finishers, not quitters, not throwing in the towel. Running the race with endurance, laying aside every weight and sin that would slow us down. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? We got one more verse. Can we do it? We can do it. Four seconds. This is so good, because look what happens. This, he says, this salutation is by my own hand, Paul. So you've got to picture this. He's been dictating this letter, and all of a sudden he picks his hands in a chain, and he grabs the quill, and he autographs it. It's like awesome. And then what he says next, what does he say? Remember what? Isn't that awesome? I don't think he's saying it like with the poor memes, like, you know, woe is me, remember me. In here, I'm stuck in this prison. I don't, think, I don't think that's it at all. It's like, remember my chains. I, for me, that's an exhortation. It's like, wow, if God can use Paul in that situation, guess what? He can use me too. Man, I got this, I, this work. I'm just chained here. I feel like I, it's a dead end. I'm not going anywhere. I'm working on chariot wheels. But God can use me right there. Just like he's using Paul. I mean, can you think about, think about Paul? He, he's a dude that traveled everywhere. He's out and about all over the place, and all of a sudden he gets slowed down. Boom. Stopped. And he could have easily said, you know what? I just, I, I'm done. I can't go to these places. I can't go over here. But what does he do? The next best, he can't go there. The next best thing he can do is what? To write a letter. To encourage the flock. To exhort the flock. To demonstrate how much he loves them. He cares about them. He's praying for them. Listen, again, the Lord wants to use us wherever he has us to his glory. It will be worth it when we pass through the veil and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's all by his grace. Look at how he finishes. Grace be with you. May God's kindness and favor just overflow your life. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing.